There you go. Make sure it's started. Okay, perfect. All right. Turn with me to Acts chapter. Actually, we'll take a look at the end of chapter 5 and then go on into chapter 6. As Peter and John were under, well, they, they were in court. The Sanhedrin court had met, and they were all upset because Peter and John were teaching in the name of Jesus rather than in the name of, of the Lord himself, God. And they said, we don't want you to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. We don't want that. And, and they, they sternly warned them. They said, do not speak in that name. That is not the name of our God. And uh, Peter and John said, we, we have to listen to what God tells us more than what man tells us. And we have seen what Jesus has done. We know that God chose him and gave him a place above all other men. We know that he is given to be a prince that is a leader and a savior for man, for mankind. And we are witnesses of the things that we have seen. We've seen him do these marvelous things. He raised the, the lame and the, gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. All these things we have seen. Verse 20, or verse 32 says, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so it is, the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And he was talking to these priests of Israel. He said, he gives the Holy Ghost to those who obey him. Essentially, he was saying to them, you're not obeying him or you would be following the leading of the Holy Spirit also. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Basically, it says they were furious. They were looking to kill them. They told, said that they were responsible for Jesus' death, which they were. And, and they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that God had given a Messiah, a leader for Israel. And so they put them aside and uh, they, there was a man that came up named Gamaliel. And he was a Pharisee and the Sanhedrin was primarily Sadducees at this time. And this Pharisee said, wait a minute. Now he was a respected man. He was a, a man who knew the law, was well versed in the law, and had been around a while. They, they respected him for, for who he was and what he knew. And he said, uh, in verse 35, he says, 
he said to them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do to, as touching these men. He said, You be real careful dealing with these men. He had seen what had happened. He'd seen the miracles, I'm sure. Everybody had heard about them. And he said, Be real careful handling these men. And he goes on, he says, For before these days rose up Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to nothing. He said, this man Theudas, whoever he was, had a following, and there were a lot of different sects. There were different groups that said, we're like, we're this group, and we're that group, and we're, you know, they identified themselves. Uh, I've, I've heard it said that where you, where you had two Jews, you had at least three opinions. And uh, so that, that's fine. They, they all had their own group that they had. Uh, we, we see the same thing today on Facebook. They're, those that you friend and those you don't friend or unfriend or whatever. And uh, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Human nature is that way. But he said that this, this group that were following Theudas came to nothing. Theudas was killed and everybody else just ran and hide, ran, ran to hide. He said, and after this, man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. He said, they, they ran and hot, hid too. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel, or this work of, be of men, it will come to naught. It'll come to nothing. Nothing will happen. Just leave them alone. But if it be of God, he cannot overthrow it. Lest happily he be found even to fight against God. You, you be careful. You don't want to be fighting against God. If this thing is real, and this is of God, you're going to be on the wrong side. He says, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the people, called the apostles and beaten them. Notice they beat them too. They didn't just call them, call them back in. They called them in and beat them. And they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Well, that was fine as far as the disciples were concerned, these apostles of God. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for this name, for the name of Jesus. When was the last time you were happy to be beaten? <laughs> glad, glad that you had for the name of the Lord. You know, this is a was a blessing to, to them. They felt privileged to suffer for the name of Jesus.
wonder how much we avoid suffering just by not telling people about the Lord. People need to hear it. And that's our job. That's our responsibility in God's service. goes on here in the last verse, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Not only in the temple, but certainly there, but also from house to house, going and talking to people, telling them what Jesus has done and what his death on the cross meant to them. He paid the price of sin for all mankind. So here we see the action of the world, the action of the priests of Israel even, and all of these things come together and the disciples are delighted to have the opportunity to serve God in this way and to tell even the, the leaders of Israel, this Sanhedrin was the, the leading body. This is like standing before the president and the, and, the, and the Congress of this country and telling them, Jesus came and now what you're doing, following the law, is not what God wants. He said God has a, a new purpose, and he's shown that through Jesus, through the miracles that are done. This is the power of God being demonstrated here in your presence, and you are ignoring it. And he pointed this out to Israel in this way. And, and they didn't like it. They, were, they even sought to kill them. They, they, they were furious. They were infuriated being told that they were wrong where they thought themselves to be the leaders of Israel. They were the leaders of Israel, but they were leading Israel the wrong direction. God says, I have a plan, and you're not following my plan. And that's the difference. Whether we serve God the way he wants to be served or whether we serve according to our own understanding. It's like when David was sent out there, they, they gave him all this armor and he says, I can't use this stuff. This isn't what I know. He said, I'll just take a few stones out of the river and, and this sling and God will protect me. I don't need all that. Sometimes we think we need the protection of the world. The armor that the world would put on us. Say, here's how you get here's how you get strength here. You do this and you do that. But faith is our victory. Faith is where David knew the Lord. He he wasn't afraid of the lions or the bears that came after the sheep or wolves or Whatever they, they had, we have coyotes here, but I guess they had, what is it, a dingoes or something like that, some kind of a 
uh, hyenas, that's what it was. They had to, I guess dingoes are down in Australia. But anyway, these carnivorous animals were a threat, even to the shepherd of the sheep. But God gave David victory over them, drove them off, and he said, God will give me the victory over this giant too. And he did. We need to realize that the giants that come into our life are still under God's control. And God will give us the victory if we go in his name and do according to his will. First chapter six. Now put these notes aside and get these others out. Okay. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. Now what this is saying, you know, the... Look, I have to write one to begin. Anyway, what this is saying here is that the Christians had all things in common. We read that earlier in the former chapter. And they, the people that had possessions sold them, brought the money to the disciples, and everyone was being fed communally. They, and these, uh, these were Jews and Greeks, that is uh, Gentiles. This word Greeks here is referring to anybody who wasn't a Hebrew. And evidently there was some uh, favoritism. And that there were murmurings, there was complaining among the Christians, which shouldn't have been from the beginning. There shouldn't have been favoritism in the doling out of food and and providing for the necessities. This shouldn't, this isn't Christian, this isn't appropriate for Christians to have this type of dissension. And there was a daily food disbursement to, to every, all of the Christians. And there were some that weren't being neglected. It says that the Grecians said that their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. They were being neglected. They didn't have families to say, uh, this, this is right, this is good, this is even. And they were being left out. And verse 2 says, when the twelve, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples and Unto, unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We shouldn't have to be dealing with this. We've got a responsibility to God and, and we need to stick with that. They said that the, it's not reasonable to have to stop what we're doing to take care of these minor squabbles among you. 
and that you know this is reasonable that they're what they're saying and and he says therefore brethren look out among you seven men of honest report full of the holy ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business he said we want seven men now there notice there were thousands of people here thousands of christians and seven men wasn't a lot but they were to be deputized by the apostles to serve god in this way and Notice the qualifications for these men. They're to be of a good report. They, they shouldn't have anybody having problems with them. Full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. They should be wise men. People have been around a while. Everybody liked them. They got along with people. But they were led by the Holy Spirit. These three qualifications for these men to serve. They were, and this was what, uh, we, we call them deacons today. That was their job. They took care of these, uh, shall I say mundane problems? The, everybody has problems. And, and these Christians were no different. They should be. We all should have the mind of Christ and, and the Spirit leading us, and we shouldn't have these squabbles. But being human beings, as we are, we do have differences. We do have uh, different understandings from day to day. And even the church here, realized that there were things that needed taken care of. Now, whether it's turning on the heat here or turning the lights on or, or getting things taken care of, we have people that see to those things. I mean, we're a small group here, but we have things that need to be done. And if we had a large group like they had, they had thousands. I mean, talk about big churches. This was a big church. And there were important things. And taking care of one another is an important thing. And these men were deputized, as, as basically we're going to see here, to take care of these troubles. And they were authorized by the church because the church chose who they were. And they had to fit these uh, specific requirements of good report, full of the Holy Ghost, and have wisdom. You know, wisdom is an important thing. It's spoken of in, in Proverbs. It's spoken of in many places. And this is it shows maturity shows that you've been around and you you've grown past some of these squabbles and you're able to handle these things in your own life 
And so these are things that were required of these men to attend to such matters as um, so this was a duty that they had uh, that was laid upon them, these seven men, and it pleased the whole congregation. Verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These were seven men that were chosen out of the whole congregation. And I think that they covered a spectrum of people. Uh, from Stephen here, and I guess everyone knew Stephen, and everybody liked Stephen. He was, he was a easy easy to get along with guy. He was somebody that everybody respected. Had, and he was full of the Holy Ghost. And he was mentioned first. And then all of these others from various places throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, even down to Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch. He was a proselyte Jew who had become a Christian. And, and the people chose these particular people because of the qualifications that had been set up by the apostles. And they set them before the apostles. This is verse 6. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. This idea of laying on of hands, this is something that confers responsibility. It, it's a uh, deputation, if you will. It's a giving them authority also. And this is a, an authority that is passed to these people for that purpose. And when a, when a pastor or a preacher is ordained, this is what is done. There's a laying on of hands. It's a. It says in Timothy. It says lay lay hands on no man suddenly. That means you, you are careful, who you choose, to do this, who you choose to do, the will of God, in the congregation. This has to be a man of wisdom, a man of good report. And, and led by the Spirit of God. These are important things when it comes to serving God. And the apostles realized this. And it pleased the people. The whole congregation said, yeah, this is a good idea. We're, we'll choose these men. And, and, we'll, and not only that, but we'll listen to what they tell us. Which is, in, that's why the apostles said, choose out men like this. These are the type of people you want leading you. These are the people you want to instruct you in taking care of these simple matters. 
And so it pleased the whole congregation. Verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So people saw this and they said, yeah, we want to be a part of that. They came and they heard the word of God and they received salvation and they joined themselves to the church. And not only was it just the common people, but many of the priests, I, I see these priests, it says, and the company of the priest. Now, a great company of the priest. I think that probably they came as a group. And I say that because they were afraid of the Sanhedrin. They believed Jesus, but they were afraid of the Sanhedrin. So they came as a group instead of individually. A company of priests. It's, it's what it says here. We're obedient to the faith. I think they said we better go together rather than singly because we'd get picked off singly. And, and Stephen, a man full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. This is that Stephen, the first deacon that was chosen. And he was doing wonders and miracles. He did great things among the people, even as he was doing his work. And so they said, this is, this is a good choice. Um, that, but then they came, there came some opposition. And this, this is from outside the church, mind you. This is, people came to oppose Stephen as he was doing these miracles. Miracles weren't something you could hide. They weren't to be hidden. They were things that were done in public. And there rose up some people. Verse 9 says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen, arguing with him. How can you argue with miracles? I don't know. But they were doing it. They, they were against what he was doing. Why? Beats me. <laughs> but these were troublemakers, basically. They were stirring up trouble. And and they weren't able to resist. Verse 10 says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen was being led by the Spirit of God. How do you argue against that? How do you argue with people being given freedom from sickness, from blindness, deafness? things that troubled them all of their lives. How can you argue against that? I don't know. But they, they weren't able to resist the, the leading of the Holy Spirit that, that led Stephen. 
but they were arguing with him anyway. Verse 11 says, And then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Blasphemous? I don't think this came from Stephen. They were, what does is, what is the word suborned mean? Anyone have a good definition of that word? Suborned. Suborned. I mean, part of that is a part of subordinate, so the word subordinate, so you'd think it would be somebody that would be subject or under somebody. This is a legal term. Anyone else have an idea of what suborned means? Like called them in and paid them money. <laughs> what? Like, What's that, Tony? Is it like a subpoena, maybe? Like, like no. No. Any? Bribery. Bribery. There you go. We're getting a lot closer. They bribed these men to speak falsely. They bribe people to come in, and I don't know how much of a bribe they make. Here's, here's a nickel, go take care of this, <laughs> you know. But I think that these Alexandrians and Cretans and, and people of Cilicia and Asia, wherever they were from, these people that were arguing probably didn't need much um, coercion. <laughs> they didn't need much encouragement. They were already arguing with Stephen, but they, they suborned men. In other words, they paid them to come and to lie, to give false testimony. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Boy, we're, we're going to say, they, this Stephen did this. And they, they were arguing this and lying in public, lying here to the Sanhedrin, lying to everybody in Jerusalem. And they stirred up the people. In other words, they were rabble-rousers. They were causing dissension, causing trouble. And the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Caught Stephen and brought Stephen to the council. Well, the council was already upset. The Sanhedrin is the council that's being talked about here. And they were already upset that these Christians were this way, as they were called, the, the way. Well, it was, a, it was a different way than the Jews were following. And so these people stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him. So he's, they came and they stirred everybody up, the leaders of Israel, and brought them before the council of the Sanhedrin. Verse 13 says, And set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Here they're saying against this holy place, against Jerusalem, against the temple, uh, and the law, the, the very law of the Jews, the law that God gave on Mount Sinai. 
why he's, he's awful, is what they were saying. What more could they say? You know, this is a holy place. We, we all know that. Why, if he says anything against this place, against the law, he's, he's bad. He's, he's worthy of death. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Moses delivered these to us. We, why, that was back in history. We know about that. And we've heard him say this. This is what they said. They hadn't heard him say anything like that. And they said that he, he told them that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Yes, those customs are to be changed at this point. But they're changed by God, not by Stephen. Even, not even by Jesus. Jesus made it possible when he died on the cross. He paid the price of sin for man. And the law isn't what binds us now. It's faith in Jesus. Faith in what he did that is different. Is that a custom? Well, I guess. I don't know. No. It's better than a custom. It's a heart condition. It's a change of the condition of the heart, which is what God wanted. It's what God desires even now for us. I mean, I need that cleansing daily. It's not something that is done and, and gone. One, one and done is the way people say it. No, no. It's not that. It's a cleansing of the heart, moment by moment. And it, it isn't something we can do for ourselves. But we can prevent it if we don't let God come into our hearts daily, wash us, cleanse us, and give us enlightenment. Give us instruction. Change our hearts and this is what is necessary. But this is what Stephen was accused of, of destroying the law, destroying the temple uh, the, in the name of Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Why, that's terrible. That's awful. But it's what God wants. That's what God needs of them and us. Verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Well, what does this mean? I think there's an, another place that we need to look for this type of instruction. 
And that's um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Turn with me there. Exodus 34. Verse 29. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. This is when he went up on Mount Sinai and spoke to God. And God gave instructions for the people. And when he came down, his, his, even his skin glowed like he was giving off light, emitting light. Verse 30 goes on. He says, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken, had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And until Moses had done speaking with them, he put on a veil, put a veil on his face. He had to cover his face up because they were afraid of him. Because he had been in God's presence. I think that's what the Sanhedrin was seeing also. They feared Stephen, I think, the same way that they feared Moses here. Verse 34 here in Exodus says, But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and he spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So there came a change over Moses. It wasn't... It wasn't a worldly change it was an unworldly thing he'd been in the presence of God and I think that we see that here with Stephen and we'll not go on into the next chapter here because most or Stephen gives his defense to the Sanhedrin and it's a rather lengthy I think there are 60 verses in this next chapter. And this is Stephen telling the Sanhedrin court why he's doing what he's doing and what they are doing wrong, both. And he gives a, a lengthy dissertation here at God's direction, mind you. He, this is what they were seeing here when they saw this, that his face has changed like it was the face of an angel. He wasn't paying attention to them. He was paying attention to God. And we'll go into that 
next week, and we'll read his defense. As I think the term is his apologia. His, it's not an apology, no, no, by no means. It's his reasoning, his rationing, his thinking, his seeing, his understanding. All of these things come into that. This is why he does what he does, why he sees what he sees. And it, it's beautiful. I read it through last night, and I thought, wow. We need to see this. We need to understand these things in our own lives. And here he was seeing God's instruction to him as he stood here. We'll go into this next week and see Stephen's reasoning. And it's exciting. It's exciting, people. When God instructs our hearts, we should be changed. We should be glowing with our service to God. Happy to serve in whatever way God directs us. I'll, I'll close with that and we'll look at his reasoning next week. Thank you. Is there, any, is there anything that anybody would like to say about this? I mean, I, I was standing up here talking, but certainly there are things that came to your minds. All right, we'll, we'll go into that next week.
Do you have a tiller or do you use a hand pile? Use a shovel. Oh, a shovel? I have got that push pile back there. I've got a push pile. Yeah, that's like the bicycle wheel. Yeah, it just doesn't No, that's all I make the road. Just the way we make the road. we got to start planning ahead to. That's all right once you've got a plan. They've got all these tillers too that you don't want to work on them. I got three or four you can work on, maybe maybe one would work. I don't know. I've got a tiller at home that I have to get. It's a Troy built. Oh, it's a nice one. But it needs a new set of roller tines and it needs the carburetor. Yeah, I'm sure it needs to need all that too. It's a good tiller. Outside. <laughs> Such a spring in Colorado, right? <laughs> Late winter, early spring, I guess you could say. Dennis and I were talking about the wind earlier. And I says, you know, I as much as I've lived lived here for a year, I still don't think I'll ever get used to the wind. You just don't. I think you know, Karen. And I've had that conversation too. That's probably my least favorite thing about Colorado, besides the smoke in the summer from fires that you you get sometimes. So. Uh, I said, those are the two things I didn't realize that Colorado had a lot of. Brother Tony was pretty good in prefacing all that when he took me around and showed me when we were here last year when we first come. He talked about the, the wind and, and, you know, I didn't think about the smoke either. I, I, even though I know that there's wildfires here. I told Don, I said, I should have, I should have uh, had a more first. I was like, what is this stuff? It's smoke. <laughs> so, help, forgive this poor, uh, ignorant Arkansan. <laughs> Alright, well this morning we'll turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll uh, read there from verse 11, so it's kind of a rehash of, of, of or adding to a devotion, our devotional from this week about having our armor adjusted. So we'll start, uh, it's as apt to start here in Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll read starting in verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, in which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, how I do Tychus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all the things whom I have sent unto you from the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to you, brethren, love with faith and from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with you. 
Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So, what do you suppose the purpose of this passage was here to the church at Ephesus? Just what it says. It was talking about resisting the powers of darkness, the power of evil, and of Satan. And preparing ourselves or having ourselves covered with the protection that the Lord provides. This is not armor that we provide for ourselves, but it comes from God. The encouragement here was to the church at Ephesus that they might be able to withstand the problems that they were facing or that would come against them. I think it's very, very good and, and, and well-used scripture here. This, this always gets a lot of airtime. But one thing we don't often think about is adjusting our armor, spiritually adjusting our armor often why well because just like most things you get weak you get tired you get wore out or sometimes even numb to what is going on around you there's a reason why we are fellow servants one of another is because it requires each of us not only to adjust our own armor but sometimes we have to reach over to adjust the person next to us why? Because, well, just like anything, it can move out of place. It can uh, be weakened over time and wear, and sometimes it has to be strengthened and reinforced and repurposed. So that is the same thing here. Spiritually speaking, we have to be filled up with the right things, encouraged with the right things, and strengthened by our brethren. <laughs> We know this by looking at using today's uh, examples from today and time, the military. We live in a time where there's military superiority the, on the earth. We have a lot of things that make us superior in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world. But fundamentally, being a soldier remains the same, doesn't it? It requires discipline. It requires strengthening and conditioning. It requires... Mental preparedness, as well as, as well as constant going over the things which you need, examining the things which you have that provide you with safety and protection. So spiritually, we have to do this very same thing. When he goes over there in the latter verses and he talks about being, he says, what did he say there? Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. That requires us as to work as a, and function as a unit. In, in the military, you have units, you have battalions, you have, you know, different blocks of military, which I'm not familiar with the term, Brother Ed's probably more familiar with the terms than I am, and some of you other folks are. But those units are structured for protection, aren't they? There's safety in numbers. But it also requires that they carry out exercises and doing things together that strengthen them as a unit because it's a family like we are here. That's why he spoke in these terms because military service was something that they could understand. Agriculture was something they could understand. And maritime laws and rules is something they could understand about 
going over across the sea. So here he goes on. He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to, what? To withstand in the evil day. He goes on. He talks about standing there, having your loins girded about with the truth. Loins are the soft, unprotected tissue. It's not like our chest where we have ribs and things like that that protect our vital organs, right? I mean, the stomach is a vital organ, but there's a lot of padding there for some of us. Some there's a lot less, but, you know. But there's a reason why he talks about girding your loins up with the truth. I won't go into very de uh, very detail about that, but it's soft and protected. So it's important that it's protected with armor, right? Speaking from a soldier standpoint. So the truth guards it up. It protects it, right? It protects those things that are vulnerable to attack. The breastplate of <clears throat> righteousness. What is that? Well, our vital organs, our heart, our lungs, our esophagus, our lymph, that is all encased in the chest there, isn't it? Speaking from a medical standpoint. So what is it that righteousness provides? Protection. It's not our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of him in which we serve in this capacity. That righteousness provides deliverance to our vital organs, doesn't it? And then he moves on and he talks about the feet. Our feet is what carries us about to spread the gospel, right? I mean, we have to walk to physically carry it, don't we? In those days, they particularly had to be especially careful with their feet. They didn't have the protection. They didn't have the footwear, militarily or otherwise. Most of the garb in that day was sandals. I don't know, automatically when I think about that, I think about most of the the Christian distributor type stuff where you see a Roman soldier with, you know, padding and and the dress-like thing. I'm not, I'm not going to get to be fancy with words, but you see the sandals are full of thick leather padding and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of protection for your feet, but you had to take good care of your feet because it gets you where you're supposed to go. So he says there, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, you know, if you want to fight wars, you better be prepared for peace too. So what, is, what does the gospel do for us? It provides us with peace, doesn't it? So then he moves on to the hands. Talks about the sword of the spirit. And what else? The shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation. Notice the salvation is the helmet. It's the top. It's the crowning point of a soldier's garb there. But the sword of the Spirit, we know the scripture talks about the Spirit is able to divide even to the, what, the joints and marrow? Uh, you know, that's, I can't get to that particular thought right now, but the shield of faith, it provides a defense, doesn't it? It's able to stop the fiery darts it talks about there of the wicked. We cannot be spiritually prepared for the service of the Lord if we're not taking up our sword and we're not disciplining ourselves and we're not studying and we're not encouraging one another, spending time together. Physically, it's, in, uh, physically it's impossible, one. And two, if we're not spending time 
honing our craft, which is serving the Lord, we're not going to be prepared for battle, are we? That much is true. I had difficulty the past couple weeks, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I've had difficulty the past couple weeks being homesick because I've talked about it. I miss the rain. I miss hugs from my family. I'm, I'm a hugger. Y'all all know that. I haven't seen my mother in a year. That's the longest in my entire life I've been without seeing my mother or my father or my brother. And that's physically, it's hard on, and mentally, it's hard on your mind. Now, the hidden blessing is that, that I have all, I have all of you here. And y'all are my family. I mean, that's first and foremost. But still, the flesh is weak sometimes, and you want what you, you have. I know I had some encouragement this week from one of the other, one other pastors I was talking to. He had moved, and he says, and remember the passage of Scripture, don't look back. Why? Because the Lord has no pleasure in that. I said, no, that's not, not what I'm doing. But I said, you know, you, you get you get to thinking about those things that you, you've enjoyed in the past, the memories, the things that you've made. Those are, it's difficult not to get caught up in the moment and be sad and be upset or depressed. But, what was I saying to get to this point? <laughs> I had to spiritually adjust my armor. So, this this service that I'm in is not one it one it's one that requires discipline. And one of the one of the first things I thought of was, I, I I need to pray about this. I need the Lord to strengthen me in this. Well, it's the same thing with you all. Through prayer, with the things that you all are dealing with, like we talked about a little earlier in prayer and in, in our sins, is it it helps it helps one of us each each of us together in our prayers. That's the purpose and intention of our prayers. It's a weapon used to strengthen our mind and our body and our soul before the Lord. We use the sword, this sword, this is a sword. It can divide, it divides out and sifts out what's flesh and what's not, right? I don't know, we read this and we get convicted. That's separating the flesh from the spirit. We separate meat from the bone when we when we cut things off, you know, when we're preparing dinners, we cut meat off the bone, right? You're separating what's what what's what's needed and what's not needed, right? So it requires us to be diligent in preparation. Those things that I felt this week and the feelings I felt, that was part of what my mother said said it said it really well. She said, that's Satan hitting us where it hurts. He uses what, what hurts us the most to get to us. Well, we have to be concerned with the things of serving the Lord. Sometimes we have to reorient ourselves. Sometimes somebody else has to call it to our mind. I'm thankful that I had quite a few this week that have done it. I, I've, in conversation, I talked about some of the things I've talked about with Brother Tony and Sister Shirley and Brother Wayne over the past year. And the things that they went through when they moved here. It's true. It's true to point. They know from experience. And through their experience, it's helped me to kind of refocus too. Now, this is not all about me. I'm just, this is, this is all applicable to what we're talking about today. So, 
Um, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter five. We'll start in verse one there. It says, but, <clears throat> but of these times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you uh, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon him as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. What's he talking about? Being prepared, right? Being spiritually prepared. What's our purpose in life? It's to serve the Lord. It should be. That's what we've. That's why we're here today, right? We've made a commitment to serve the Lord. We're in the service of the Lord. The point is, is that we make it to the end of this fight and that we're not overcome like the rest of the world will be when it happens. And they're like, oh, I didn't know what was going to happen. That's the point of spiritual preparation for, it, for service in the Lord. The, the purpose of strengthening and encouraging one another in the scripture, coming together, singing songs and spiritual hymns. We're preparing. We're preparing for the life to come. Some people get caught up in the life of the present. That's not the purpose of this life. We are not conscripts. We're not forced to serve. We're asked to serve. And we have the opportunity to serve. Thank you, Brother Ed. So... What was the purpose here? Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica regarding their service to be prepared for the return of the Lord. His desire was that they be prepared for the spiritual warfare that they were going to encounter against the darkness and its master. Who's that? Satan. We won't get into this today, but there are other forms of darkness out there. But Satan's just the chief among them, right? So not being caught up in the world. That's the encouragement there. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Excuse me. I skipped ahead, y'all. Don't turn. I'm just trying to see if I'm awake. <laughs> let's look through. Let's look through. Uh, go down to verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do and we beseech you, brethren, to, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and, and be at peace among, among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, supply the weak, be patient toward all men, 
seeing that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying, and prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very peace of God sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us and greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. To grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We know this was the conclusion of this first epistle to the church at Thessalonica. But what he said there very well complements what we just read. It goes on after, you know, we want you to be spiritually prepared. He says, you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not children of night nor of darkness. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. It doesn't mean that we can't sleep. He's talking about spiritually speaking. Be sober, be awake, be prepared. We can't do that. If we don't sit down and read the word, if we don't go over it, we don't encourage one another. That whole phrase, that's iron sharpeneth iron, that it uses in the scripture, that's the purpose. If we don't sharpen the tools that we have in the shed, what happens? They get pretty dull, don't they? I learned that when we had the work down here and I was chopping with some shears that were kind of getting dull. I'm like, all right, this is not going to work because it's going to chop this rose bush up and make it look real not, real ugly. <laughs> Probably not grow back if I damage it enough. So there's a reason why we strengthen ourselves. We use the tools at our disposal. Spiritual tools. We have them. The Word of God. The written Word of God. We have prayer like we talked about earlier. We have Rest. We do need rest, don't we? I'm thankful for I'm thankful for the fact that we we're not we're not unaware of this. When somebody has a need, physically or spiritually, they're still that's still just as important, isn't it? Our physical does complement our spiritual. Why? Well, my wife's not here today. She's sick. Not that I'm pointing her out, but in that moment, it's my responsibility as her husband to strengthen and encourage her because when your, your health does play a, mental, a factor on your spiritual service, doesn't it? So it's those times where I stand in the gap for her. Just as y'all do for one another, we do for each other. So he goes on here and he says, after he says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. He adds a little component there, love. Love is kind of that spiritual chainmail, in my opinion. If you don't have the spiritual chainmail underneath your armor, 
When something goes to pierce it, what happens? It's just going to go right through if that chain mill is not there to stop it. So, it's just as important. He says, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I don't know about y'all, but we were talking about David this morning getting, getting his armor put on. And I thought about that. I said, you know, if I carry 40 pounds of weight around just by myself, I might have a hard time walking, you know. I can barely carry a, barely carry a, a 10 pound bag of wipes for Jubilee that we bought this weekend. I'm like, this is heavy. I don't think this is 10 pounds. <laughs> I joke about that, but it's awkward. It's awkward to handle. But nonetheless, he says there, but let us who are of the day be sober. Be aware. Be aware of your surroundings. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, being sober. Putting on these things. We have to apply these things every single day. Every single day. It requires... Uh, armor required shining. It required... If it was metal, like we think in medieval times, it required shining. It required lubrication, oiling it up so it wouldn't you know, get rusted into place. There were things that would wear out of it. So you had to keep it well maintained. It couldn't, when it was exposed to the elements, it would age. Just like we do. When we're exposed to the elements, we age. So it requires that things be replaced and maintained regularly. Just as this is, we put it on daily. He says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What's, what's the purpose there? He says, we, he's not appointed us to wrath. That's not the intention for the Lord's people is to endure wrath. He said, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, that we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also as ye do. I know this, that if one person in a unit was not paying attention, that exposed the whole unit to danger. I've watched enough war accounts to know, some of you have been through that, to know that when somebody's not paying attention, if you're sleeping on the job and you're the watch, guess what happens? The enemy can sneak inside the camp and infiltrate and they can either kill the whole lot or sabotage the whole effort. So, what does it require? <coughs> Some of us can sleep sometimes, but we ought to be, ought to be watching, right? That's the intended purpose there. So, he goes on there. He says, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, and support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Why do you think that's important there? He says, unruly, comfort. He says, warn the unruly. Those people that are not disciplined enough, warn them. Why? Because that's important. How do you bring everything back and check? those? We talked about where a body fitly joined together last week. What happens if one is out of joint? The whole structure's weak, weakened, right? So bring them back into bring it back into focus. Support the weak. We don't strengthen and support things when 
I thought about this. I don't know much about flooring, but I know that if you get water damage, I think Tony's talking about this a little bit. If you get water damage, it's, it weakens mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. So then sometimes you have to go in and cut the boards out and put new ones in mm -hmm. to support the house to make sure it, it's the floors, the rest of the floor doesn't get weakened and the whole structure's in, in danger. I won't keep giving a construction lesson, I promise. I need to take my own medicine on that. So it says, see that no one, he goes on there, see that no one render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both amongst yourselves and to all men. I watched an account this week about this war overseas in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. And when you have, even in your own military, sometimes you can have enemies, right? People that don't have the same alignment with your thoughts and motives in a war. So what happens with those that try to subvert the, the whole effort? You get rid of them. President Zelensky cut two of his top generals because they were going against the general mission of Ukraine trying to protect themselves. So he cut them. He said, you're done. You don't have any seat at the table now to negotiate or provide protection for the rest of these folks because you're not doing what, what you're supposed to do in the military service. So he cut them. Doesn't mean that they were kicked out of the country completely, but you, you lost your position, buddy. <laughs> so that ought to make us be more mindful. That, that just calls to mind of making ourselves more mindful of just how we protect one another. Render no evil to our fellow servants. That's good. We know the account of the, of the, uh, the steward, what happened. He didn't know what time the master was going to come, but guess what? He took to beating the other slaves and doing what he wanted to do. When the master came back, guess what he said? You didn't do what you're supposed to do, buddy. So you're getting you're getting cold there. <laughs> so that makes it even more pertinent that we need to be very, very cautious and careful in our service to God and bringing things before the Lord so that he can prove them for us. He also uses one another to say, hey, I don't think that, that's quite right, you know. <laughs> She's laughing back there. It just makes me laugh. It makes you smile when you hear her laugh. So let's look at uh, first, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Read. Starting in verse 1, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may be, have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful and shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which you received of us. Excuse me. <clears throat> not after the tradition which you have received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, and wroth with, and, but wroth with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. 
not because we have not power, but to make ourselves as an end sample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we all hear that there are some walking among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in all in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give to you peace always by any means, by all means, excuse me, the Lord be with you all. That salutation of Paul with mine own hand, with which token I, in every epistle, so I write. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, he talks there about what? He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So pray for us that this may be the opportunity that it may still be able to be freely conveyed to others. He says, and that we may be delivered from the people that seek to do us harm. We don't understand that because we don't have that here in America where for speaking the truth and talking about the word of God that we can lose our life or that we can be spirit beaten or physically harmed. But we can be shunned by the general public for our belief. I've witnessed that myself. So his encouragement here was that they keep praying for them, that they might be delivered from these men. He says, for not all men have faith. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've noticed there are people that say that they have faith, but they don't. And there's people that say that they serve the Lord or they love the Lord, but they don't. Their actions prove otherwise. So that ought to help us be even more vigilant in our watching and our caring for others. That we not be deceived by other men that are not, that say they serve the Lord, but don't. He says there, but we have confidence of the Lord touching you that you both do the will of the things that we, that we command. So they have commanded him to do these things in service to the Lord. And he says there, if a brother doesn't do such a thing, don't have anything to do with him. It doesn't say don't have anything to do with him. It says put him away. Disorderly means to not, not have order, right? It's the opposite of having order, isn't it? Unruly is what we read over there. But it says don't cut him off, but admonish him as a brother. Why? So that if it happens when there's sorrow, they might come back to do the right thing. You see that in military service too. You see them get disciplined or court-martialed for things that they do, but it doesn't mean they're getting kicked out. But they'll receive the penalty for their disobedience to the to their, you know, to their commanding officers. Who's our commanding officer? Jesus is. So, how much higher are the stakes from military service to spiritual service? A lot higher, right? 
So he says there, talks about reproving these unruly brothers, help set them back where they should be. But he tells them not to cut them off completely. How many times do we see that happen where people get cut off? Because they do something that's contrary to what is truth. Consume our young. We need to work with that brother, admonish him like he says, but not associate, not have, you know, not be right along in there giving them, yeah, keep doing it. But to encourage them to do the right thing. We have the same charge as servants of the Lord. Whatever role we hold, whether it's a teacher, a pastor, a member, or a spouse, in our respective churches or assemblies. It's to, tr it's to train that we ought to obtain the reward that the Lord has promised us in our willing service to the Lord. Not like some of those ones that they've mentioned in the scripture about Hymenus and Philitus there. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry, y'all. I've ran way over today, but <laughs> y'all forgive me. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, But I determined with this myself that I would not come again to you with heaviness. <clears throat> For if I make... Excuse me, I went to the wrong place, y'all. 2 Timothy chapter 2, not 2 Corinthians. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the, uh, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And to the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, to save commit thou to faithful men who is able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and no man that worth entangleth himself with affairs of this life, that he may please the, uh, the one who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for the masters, yet he is crowned, except that he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the first fruits. Consider what I say in the Lord, give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not yet abide faithfully, he cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not with the words to, the, to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto, unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, that they shall increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, and whom is Hymenaeus and Philitus whom concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal that the Lord knoweth those that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of the Lord 
nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So, Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor, and he viewed kind of as a son, regarding this very same thing and how we gird ourselves up for the Lord's work. He says there, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You've, you've entered into this service. Endure. Continue through the difficulties. He says, Thou, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So, responsibility is to teach, teach others so that they can go and teach others as well. That's why it's important for us to understand what it is we're reading and to pray for that understanding and how to apply it. Because those that hear us are going to take what we hear and either trash in the garbage or apply it to their life. He says, May the Lord give the understanding in all three things in verse 7. So he goes on there talking about suffering and reigning with Christ. Study to show thyself approved. Those things that we talk about a lot. But he gets down to Hymenus and Philitus and he mentions them. He says, they've subverted the faith of some. Why? Because they were hungry for other, other things other than what the Lord was teaching, right? And as a result of their disregard for what they said, they led some astray. That ought to put the fear of God in us and what we say and what we do in our life. Because it does have an effect on others, both in the church and out of the church too. You have the ability to convict people to do what the Lord would have them to do. To come into service and to abide in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now I'm going to 1 Corinthians. Verse 19 <clears throat> says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, and I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without law, as without law, being not without the law of God, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as the weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain, that every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, uncertainly, excuse me, so, I, so fight I, not as the one that beateth the air, but I keep my, under my body, subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself shall be cast away. 
under subjection to Christ, right? But he says, I become as this to this man and that to that man. Why? Paul knew how to reach people, didn't he? He did. How else would he have had such free course to move about as he did and speak with Jews and Greeks? That ought to make us think and go back and read over this and observe it. How we reach others. Doesn't mean that he went under, he, he put himself in a law. He understood the law. He came out of that. But he also understood what? Being in Christ and how to help these, these Gentiles to understand that. And we, he struggled with things too, didn't he? There was things that Paul said he struggled with. He said, I pray that the Lord will remove my thorn in the flesh, but guess what? It's still there. We don't have the, the right to pick who and choose who we want to talk to, right? We're supposed to be all things to all men. He says that here, right? But it's for the glory of God that we do these things. So that when we encounter things that are difficult to handle, we can strengthen and encourage, right? That's our service to the Lord. This is why it requires us to adjust our armor and to be prepared for serving the Lord. That's what it, it requires of us is that we, we diligently labor and we hone each other in the Lord. We help each other and we encourage one another and also those that are without. Why? Because they're not the enemy. But we want them to understand that serving the Lord is the most important thing to do. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and I'll close. I've talked long enough today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. <clears throat> he says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a good fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock by the reproaches and afflictions. And partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have in heaven a better and more enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence with great recompense, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and not tarry. Now that the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul hath, shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them which draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There's great encouragement there in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. We are striving towards what? Towards what reward? Well, hopefully it's salvation in Christ. 
But our duty is also to continue in service and not to draw back. So that requires spiritual preparedness in our service to the Lord. And as a unit, as the body of Christ, we function as one unit. And we can only do that if we're also all properly training and honing our skills in the Lord. Can you kind of think about the muster? Mustering forces. That's what the Spirit is used for, to encourage and strengthen us and, you, and that we can be used as effective tools in the Lord's service. I hope this has been an encouragement to you all this morning. Thank you for your time and attention and